Hello, welcome to the Suffolk Money Podcast, brought to you by King Street. This is based on the fact that there are only three things that you can do with your money. You can spend it, and therefore we speak with entrepreneurs and business owners and leaders about how their businesses have progressed. Uh, you can give it away, in which case we're speaking with charities and community groups. And you can save it, and that's the aspect to do with financial experts. And that's really what uh, today's subject is all about, the very difficult subject of divorce. It's one that I have to admit has been on my mind since we started this nearly two years ago. But it's just taken me some time to really work through how we address it. So the good thing is we've got two really good experts speaking today uh, as part of the conversation. Juliet Harvey uh, from Burkitts and the National Chair of Resolution. Um, And we have Melanie Pilmer from Green and Green in Barry St Edmunds. And it's a real privilege to have the two of them speaking about this subject. They know each other, they trust each other, and they work together for the benefit of their respective clients in many cases. So I hope that you'll find uh, this conversation illuminating. I do recognise the fact that divorce is a difficult subject. It's a very painful subject for many people. And uh, all we really wanted to do was try and highlight different ways in which if there is the misfortune in many ways of having to go down that route, that there are other uh, methods that can be used without it having to uh, necessarily go to court. Uh, Juliet and Melanie are both extremely experienced, very knowledgeable, but also extremely wise in the way in which they tackle many of these issues. And I trust that you'll... um, find it helpful. I'm not sure that enjoyable is always the word when we're dealing with this subject, but certainly that you'll find it a helpful arrangement as we um, try and explain uh, how uh, lawyers and financial professionals and so on can work together to try to assist individuals in circumstances when they're going through in divorce. It's really good to see you both, Julia and Melanie, particularly as I recognise you're both struggling through some different winter bugs at the moment. Uh, Hopefully voices will hold out and if there's any coughing and spluttering, we'll try and edit it. I don't know, Julia, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about you and your your work and uh, both uh, business, uh, the business that you're in and, and the other work that you do as well. Okay, so I am a legal director at Burkitt's based in Ipswich but I quite often hop across to their other offices in East Anglia. Um, I sit in the family team and I'm presently the team leader of the the, of the team in Ipswich. Before joining Burkitt's I worked for a very long time at Green and Green in Bury St Edmunds which is where I met Melanie. Um, I've been working in family law longer than I care to remember, um, probably for more than 30 years, and that's being generous. Um, Deal with the whole spectrum of family law, including um, financial matters, children matters, um, prenuptial agreements, cohabitation agreements. If there's a family problem, I like to try and solve it as calmly, amicably and effectively as possible. So that's my normal day job. And in addition to that, I am currently the National Chair of Resolution. We're an organisation of 6,500 family justice professionals. We all sign up to a code of conduct and we're all committed to resolving family disputes as amicably and constructively as possible, putting the family first. Um, Our organisation includes um, financial professionals, which is Colin, how how you and I met, I think, yeah, because yeah, be, 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 because you subscribe to a very. I, I know that you work in in a very similar way in wanting to resolve family matters amicably, and we've both Melanie and I have called on you in the past to help our clients look at pensions. Um, we also have within resolution we have um, a number of therapists. Um, we have we have barristers, we have people from all different disciplines, in, including the, the, the judiciary. So we're all sort of working together to try and resolve family matters as amicably as possible and come up with new and innovative ways of working. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, you're kept busy. Uh, I think we can agree with that. So that's, that's... 
Um, so what about you, Melanie? Um, tell us a bit about you and, and maybe also how you got into um, family law. Yes, well, I'm a solicitor and partner at Green and Green, um, and I deal very much with the wide range of areas that Juliet sort of summarised. Um, I think like most family lawyers, I sort of fell into family law. Um, I started a, a training contract, at a very small firm that did a lot of legal aid work. Um, and really, that was the need. And I just found that I really enjoyed it. No day is the same. Um, and I think family law finds you really more than you, you find it. Um, I, I think Juliet really summed up what our role has become when she said that we are, we are looking to solve problems or help couples solve their problems. I think we've moved very much away from the traditional days of litigation. I mean, there are cases where we, you know, we do still have to rely on the court, but we, we very much approach things differently now, I think, um, working together, recognising, as Juliet said, sometimes with the assistance of therapists, the impact that separation has on couples, um, and really just trying not to, to make things worse by us becoming involved. Um, so yes, that's, that's my, my day job. Um, I have been a family lawyer for nearly 20 years now. So um, yeah, lots, lots of lot, help, lots of different people in lots of different situations over the years. So I'm um, just dealing with that bit, particularly Melanie, you were saying that, that actually things have moved away from litigation or, or at least you would prefer to do things in a different way. I think maybe the view that we have for those of us who are maybe outside of that is this idea of everything being decided in a courtroom and everything being quite aggressive. Um, tell us how, how you know, the way in which you work differs from that. And, yeah, and I, I, think that's still a, yeah. I think that's still a common misconception. You know, I certainly have had clients who've come to see me and one of the things they've said to me is, oh, when the court decides what we're doing and you sort of have to row clients back from that and say, well, actually, you no, know, in the majority of cases, we don't need the court to become involved with a bit of assistance. You can hopefully sort this out between the two of you. This is this is your your life. And, and if you don't need someone to impose a decision on you, then all the better. Um, and there are lots and lots of different ways now that we can work to try and help a couple when they are separating or if they're trying to sort out issues about their children. I'm also a member of Resolution and we just, part of that is thinking about ways we can resolve things without dashing off to court and, and, and having you know the difficulties and acrimony that that will, will bring because particularly if a couple are parents, they don't stop being parents just as a result of getting divorced. And so they've got to think about working together in various guises over the years you know for not just till those children are adults they, they're still going to need support when they're adults as well mm. so it's just about thinking about other options really I think since the sort of mid to late 90s there's been a real shift in in family law about moving cases away from court um, and at that time I was at Green and Green and their teams change names so when I first joined Green and Green the family department fell under the litigation team but in the mid-90s Green and Green took the decision to rebrand their litigation team to dispute resolution and the family team was very pleased with that because it was more about resolving issues rather than litigating them and Burkitt's work in in a very, very similar way. Um, Melanie and I are both trained collaborative lawyers, which means that we're able to sit around a table with a couple. So we have two lawyers and two clients. We sit around a table and we sign an agreement that commits us to resolving the issue without going, going to court. And doing that training for a lot of lawyers, I think has been tra transformative in that it's helped people to look at different ways to really focus on, on resolving things. But I think we shouldn't forget that the majority of family disputes, whether they're children matters or whether they're financial matters that are dealt with by lawyers are resolved. Mm. Um, and the cases that don't go to court, you tend not to hear about them. 
But there are hundreds, thousands of lawyers up and down the country resolving matters either in roundtable meetings or resolving matters in correspondence. Um, and lots of, you know, thousands of consent orders on financial cases are being sent to the courts for approval. And there are very few statistics on the number of those cases that are sorted out. Mm. Um, in a similar way, there are couples often agree with the help of lawyers arrangements very detailed arrangements for their children mm. and those tend not to be recorded in a consent order and so it's very very difficult to get a handle on the number of cases that are resolved away from court but I would imagine Melanie like like me you would I would say probably my case is about 75 percent of them are resolved before we even start a court application potentially more yeah I would um, think so you know if we that it really is the thing that's not talked about isn't it as you say Juliet yeah. you know we we are able to help most people and if we are not and we end up well we're still helping but if we're not and we end up in court there's normally a reason for that and yeah. it may be complexity um, it may just be that things have got so bad and often they've got so bad before those people come to us that there's only so much patching up we can do and we can't, you know, we don't have a magic wand, unfortunately. <laughs> but we can still support people through that process. And even if we are in court, again, things have changed. I mean, I think the real game changer for me, and again, I think it's linked to the collaborative training, is when we started writing to each other addressing each other by our names rather than dear sirs you know especially when there's two women writing to each other there's no <laughs> sirs involved so why were we writing dear sirs and you know just even for a client or one of the couple to see that you're writing to each other as individuals it just helps to lower the animosity I think yes I mean I I, I know that that's that that's how you and I have written um ever since we've we, we we've known one another and certainly resolution um, supports that and encourages me members to do that. I know that you and I will both write using our client's name. So it might be Peter and Jane rather mm -hmm. than your client, our client. And I think it's all of that, that type of thing that personalizes it, normalizes it, that really helps. And I know that um, we and resolution members work really hard to try and keep all correspondence as even toned as possible. Yeah, so you're not trying to sort of, um, oh, what's the word I'm trying to look for? Encourage uh, emotions to to get higher. Yeah, and uh, you know, I I think most family lawyers will have had a client come in saying, "I really want you to write a letter back to the other side, to tear strips off them, to completely destroy what they have said in that letter." But what is the point? because it is only point scoring in correspondence. That's not what matters. What matters is the longer goal. What matters is how you can go on to co-parent with that person. Mm. And that's our job, isn't it? Take the heat out of it. Yeah. You know, because they could be writing to each other in those terms. Yeah. The whole point is that we are someone who can stand back from it and try and write in a bit more rational sense or to just get the emotion out of it and get across the points that they're trying to make. Because often those clients who want you to write in a very aggressive term have got some very valid points they want to make. They're just struggling with the emotion of it all and the anger and the grief to, to articulate that in a way that's going to move things forward positively rather than making things worse. And that's where working in a team and having the ability to call upon therapeutic support really helps because I find often if I can access emotional support for a client, then they can have more effective meetings with lawyers, with experts, and ultimately save themselves on legal fees because their time with the lawyer and, and experts isn't then clouded by by emotion mm. um, and I think by having that therapeutic support the clients then able to to really focus in in legal meetings mm. on 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 what needs to be dealt with so what's that what's the history to resolution then Juliet how's it got to where it is now because I think some people might mm. be surprised that you're both in the same profession <laughs> you're both in the same area of speciality 
you potentially take a, a you know a side of a, a different sides in a couple and you actually yeah. just talk about it and you can be very open about ways to progress things and help them maybe looking at them objectively but yeah resolution yeah, is can, all part of this isn't it? It, it it is and i can i can see where the public perception comes from, particularly when there are dramas on television like The Split, where you see lawyers pitted ag against what, what, what one another. And it isn't really like that. But Resolution started off um, nearly 40 years ago. It will be our 40th anniversary next year. Um, John Cornwell, who was a family lawyer, really thought that. Um, dealing with matters in, in a litigious way as an adjunct to, to, to a litigation department wasn't appropriate for family disputes. And he thought there must be a better way of dealing with those disputes. So he wrote to a number of lawyers, um, inviting them to an open meeting and was very surprised when the vast majority of those lawyers turned up and they were very supportive of his aims and his thoughts about dealing with family law in a different way. Um, so it started off very small. Um, it started off with a very, very small team, but it has grown over the years to becoming the organisation we are now with 6,500 members. Initially, Resolution was called the Solicitors Family Law Association. And as you can imagine, um, membership was limited just to solicitors. But as the way in which we've dealt with family law has changed, our membership makeup ha has changed. Um, I'm a legal executive, so, so my journey to the law was, was different to Melanie's. I spent time learning whilst I was working. I did a sort of day release type of, of, of qualification. And I'm the first legal executive to have served on the National Committee and Executive Committee and first legal exec to be chair of, of, of resolution. Um, we conducted a membership survey a number of years ago and felt that we needed to widen the membership. So that brought in accredited IFAs into our membership fold. It also brought in barristers and we continue to look at widening our, 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 our membership categories. So we like to think that we are the go-to organisation in family law that can provide information and support not only for our members, but also for separating couples. Um, Resolution has campaigned over the years on a number of, of items, most recently on no-fault divorce. Um, it was been a constant battle cry for resolution, I think, for, for about the last 30 years, that there was a need to overhaul the Matrimonial Causes Act and the law in relation to, to divorce, because what benefit was it to a couple to sling mud when, when divorcing? Um, most couples that Melanie and I, or m most clients that Melanie and I see in the office, they know that their marriage has broken down and they just want to move on as effectively and amicably as possible. And increasingly, couples did not want to blame one another for the breakdown of their, of, of their marriage. Often they come saying, well, we, we've, we've just moved on. We've fallen out of love. And that would not be enough to, to get through a divorce under the old law. So Resolution was really, really pleased when um, we were able to have a number of meetings with government and we were able to um, petition the government after the Owens case about the need to overhaul the divorce law. Um, the time had come, it seemed that we were really knocking on an open door. And so the Divorce, Dissolution and Separation Act received royal assent about 24 hours after I became chair of resolution. The timing was absolutely <laughs> nothing to do with me, but I am really, really pleased to, to, to claim that as, as, as my first resolution tick.
Um, so that came in in June 2020. That's when it got um, judicial. That's when it got royal assent. Um, but we couldn't start dealing with the new law until earlier this year. Um, and it's changed everything because now with the new divorce law, you there, there is no possibility of blaming one or the other person. It is a simple matter of completing a form and confirming that your marriage has irretrievably broken down. There's no need to say that one party has acted badly. There's no need to cite a third party. Um, and it has really streamlined the process. Mm. And it hasn't make, made divorce easier, contrary to no. you know, the, the critics. I mean, I, I remember when I, I was a student, when I did my degree, I mean, this was first mooted in 19, Family Law Act 1996, and this is how long it's taken to come in. And, you know, we all studying it thought it was, it was an amazing idea, and, and, and we were highly disappointed when it fell away. And I'd spent so many years of my career saying to people, well, you know, unfortunately, we don't have no-fault divorce um, you're going to have to, if there's no adultery, you're going to have to say something about each other's behaviour. And, you know, as lawyers, we really tried to tone that down so that we were just saying things that were elements of behaviour that most married couples would find about each other, um, which sort of made a bit of a mockery of it anyway. Um, but it, it's certainly, it's such a relief to clients when you say to them now about the divorce process, and you say, look, that bit is going to be the really straightforward bit in terms of process because you don't have to blame each other. It's a process that you go through. Um, you know, there's a long waiting period where they can change their minds. Not that people tend to do that because contrary to popular opinion, by the time someone comes to see a lawyer, they really know where they're at. You know, they've spent a lot of time thinking about whether they can do anything to save the marriage. Um, and it just takes that heat out. It just takes that anxiety out. Um, and and I, I know I've had cases, and I'm sure Juliet has, where despite you trying to put things mildly in the petition about someone's behaviour, it's just upset everything. Mm. And yeah. that is gone. How have you both found that in dealing with people? Has there been a change in which people approach you? Or do they just come in and they don't really understand what the legal changes have been uh, How's it been over this year? I think there are a lot of people who are surprised at, at, at the change because I think citing blame in divorce has become ingrained in culture. Um, and what I have found very recently is that there are some people who are actually quite aggrieved at not being able to apportion blame. And so that's now tending that blame culture is now tending to move over either into the financial or children proceedings because I think some people want to be able to to have that say and to make those allegations on on paper um, and where there are lawyers involved on both sides um, we try to actively steer people away from that because whether somebody had an affair or whether somebody spent too much time watching the soaps or going to football or going to the golf club isn't really going to change the court's view on a distribution of, of finance or on how much time the children spent, spend with, with either parent. And so I think it's really a matter for us to try and get people used to to dealing with things in a slightly different way and I think it will be a transitional a, 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 a transitional issue um what I'm finding is also a difficult is, is also difficult for some clients I don't know about you Melanie is um the media have always spoken about quickie divorces and under the new law as Melanie said there's a period of reflection built into the process which is 20 weeks 
Um, once the petition ha has been issued, it's it's or the application has been issued, there's a period of 20 weeks. And then um, the parties can apply for a conditional order. The conditional order application at the moment takes about four weeks. And then from the date of the conditional order to the date of the final order, that's another six weeks. So clients expect having seen in in the press these these reports about a quickie divorce and i think they think that's going to be over in about six weeks but really the process they're locked into i think is probably about probably 30 35 weeks mm -hmm. as a minimum and that's just the divorce i think that's right especially for clients who come to you and they say that they've agreed everything and they have this idea that, you know, they can have a quickie divorce and it'll all be done and dusted within a few weeks. And then you have to explain the process. And I, I think also sometimes I explain to them, you know, how that process has come about, that this is the evolution to this point. Um, and I think once clients know what, what the process is, they're okay about it. But I think you're yeah. right. There's been a lot in the, in the year, over the years of mm. quickie divorce, which never did exist. What yes. they were only talking about was undefended divorce, which was yeah. what the majority of cases were anyway. I think often I get people coming in and, as you say, they've sorted out the finances and they think, oh, so I'll, I'll sort the finances first and then we can get the divorce going through because that will be very quick. Um, and I think now people are quite concerned that having sorted out their finances they're having to wait the best part of six months before they can have their financial agreement ratified by the court in a consent order so I'm trying to educate people on that process to say really you need to think about all of these things as part of as as part of one process perhaps start the divorce proceedings so you then have those as a hook that you can then hang your financial order on um, and I know that is why the 20-week reflection period also came about, not only to give people the opportunity to think about is divorce what they really want, but also to spend some time resolving financial issues if they can, because then they could have those made into a financial consent order once the conditional order has been granted in, 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 in the divorce proceedings. Mm. So in addition to uh, finances, which are obviously a pretty critical part of all of this, the other bit that seems to me that takes the time is dealing with children. Um, yeah. How does that form part of this process? I don't mind who wants to come in there. Melanie, well, do you want to make it a start? It very much depends because in a lot of cases, I would say the vast majority of cases, people are able to work together to sort out what arrangements they feel suit their family best. And that can be a whole different range of things from what, what I, I would term your sort of more traditional, what I used to see 15, 20 years ago, quite regularly. I don't know, one parent that the children live with and the other one they spend time with every other weekend or something like that. Um, right up to the more increasingly popular idea that there is some form of shared care which doesn't have to mean an exact equal split of time, but just working on the basis of what works for the family, working around uh, parents' work, um, children's activities, hobbies, and lots and lots of parents, even if they can't come together and sort out finances, can in some ways put those differences to one side and work on the arrangements for the children. Now, if they can't, then there are different ways and different processes that we can use to help them advance those discussions, really. And again, it's only in your sort of extreme cases or unusual cases that we end up in a court, because the reality of a court order in relation to children is it is a blunt object. It can tell a parent with whom that child is going to spend time. What it can't address is what we tend to find are the issues for, for a lot of parents that don't relate to time, that relate to arguments at handover or um, not being involved in discussions about the children, about education or, or all those sorts of things, which the court can address, but only in a limited way. And so as parents, 
you're always going to have to liaise and discuss things. And, and, and really, it's about trying to set up some sort of process that that can happen, because the lawyers can't be around forever. At some point, we're going to have to drop out of the scene. Um, and, you know, those that the couple's going to have to continue parenting those children. So especially when it comes to children, I think there are lots of options to try and work out an arrangement, a plan. How are we going to, you know, how are parents going to look at that plan again if things change? Because they do. You know, we might see parents whose children are two, four. Is that arrangement going to be suitable when they're 14? Mm. Um, it's just about trying to get get them on track and having those discussions. And there's there's lots of different ways we can do that. Um, and just trying to take the heat out again if we can. Mm. Most of the cases that go through the courts in relation to children either involve one or increasingly two unrepresented parties. So they're people who haven't had the benefit of legal advice. Um, the government the government last year launched a mediation voucher scheme, which means that if a couple wants to go to mediation to talk about their children, or to talk about children and finances, they go to an, a mediator who offers that scheme, the government will pay £500 towards the cost of mediation. And there has been some research carried out, and in about 75% of cases, those who have accessed the voucher scheme have managed to stay away from the court. And so that's that is, is, is very good news and shows, as Melanie says, that if parents are able to sit down and talk with one, to, to one another, with the assist, whether they do that themselves or with the assistance of a mediator, that is going to help them to reach an agreement about their children. And we also know through research that agreements that are reached between parents themselves, rather than the blunt instrument Melanie described, being imposed upon them by the court, um, agreements that are reached by parents themselves are much, like, much more likely to be long lasting and to really help the family. Mm. So it sounds to me as though the direction of travel is to encourage people with your help to come to their own agreements um, rather than let it get to court in, in all contexts. Is that Incom fair? Yes. And um, one of the things that's happening next week is Resolutions Good Divorce Week. It is a bit of a misnomer calling it Good Divorce Week, but we started off calling it that when we were campaigning for better divorce laws. And so it's, it's, it's now sort of stuck calling it Good Divorce Week. But really, um, it's an awareness week. So with effect from the 28th of November, Resolution members are, are promoting various ways in which families can resolve disputes without the need to go to court. Melanie and I often talk to one another about how broken our court system is. And I think those who don't instruct lawyers may not realise that if you want to get a court hearing in relation to children disputes, if you issue your paperwork, you're probably in our part of East Anglia, not going to hear from the court for a couple of months. And when you do get a hearing date, that's probably going to be four or five months off. It's now not uncommon to have gaps of eight to nine months between hearings, whether that's in relation to children or whether it's in relation to finances. If you have a complex matter that might need a couple of days in court, you might wait up to a year for that hearing date. Mm. Then added on to that is the problem that we're in an area that has a chronic judicial shortage. And so often we find that the day before the court hearing, you might get an email from the court saying, we're very sorry, but due to judicial unavailability, your hearing tomorrow has been cancelled. And for parents, particularly those who've not been seeing a child, to wait possibly six to 12 months for a hearing and to find out that's cancelled and they're going to the bottom of the heap on listing, it's very, very hard. Mm. And so that's, that's one of 
the main reasons why we're promoting out of court pathways. How do you cope with that, though, say, Melanie, if the other side to you just isn't engaging in that process? Um, so you're being made aware of the fact that, let's say, there's a children's issue and you're saying that that's a very long time down the line before mm. you can turn up in court. What happens if your side is very keen to try to resolve that, but the other side isn't? And they're well, not being be represented very, by Julie. Very, <laughs> very tricky. And yeah. actually, if you've got someone who isn't represented, it's even more tricky because they sometimes have a misapprehension about what the court is going to be able to do. Um, I mean, there are ways we can resolve things. You know, we can hire a, effectively a private judge to determine things in what's known as arbitration. Um, but it, it's a voluntary process and everybody's got to be on board with that. I mean, lots of people do agree that it is better to have things resolved sooner rather than later. If you employ an arbitrator, you don't go to court. You, you know, you, it's as if you're having a court hearing, but you can have it in, you know, from the privacy of your own home on, on a Zoom, or you can uh, go to an office, or you can go wherever you like, and it works really well. You can set it at your own pace, you can fit around different things. Um, but yes, I mean, there are cases that for all our want to try, and we can't, we can't move on. And it often is because people haven't had advice and they don't understand what it is the court can and can't do. Um, and, you know, the, the other thing that, that frequently happens is you might still have a hearing, but where had you thought it was maybe going to be at your local court in Bury St Edmunds or in Ipswich? All of a sudden you find on a Friday afternoon, you're told Monday morning, you've got to go to Chelmsford or something. Or Southend. Or Southend, yes, Southend's <laughs> another one, which is not very easy when you are telling a parent they've got to get themselves you know across to Essex for nine o'clock in the morning when they've got children to take to school mm. especially when and there are train the strikes can't help. yeah 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 train strikes aren't going to help yeah so, it, so it, it is tricky but I think it's it's about us trying to to educate people about the benefits of other approaches and also at the same time just being you know honest about the limits to the court and the delays um it's it's a it's a, an ongoing project so that must be part of your very first meeting with a client when someone comes in and is exploring what do they do next i'm assuming this is something you have to build in right at the outset of your conversation absolutely you've got to talk to them about all the different options um because there are lots and lots of different options for resolving things and juliet's mentioned mediation i've talked about arbitration we can we can deal with things as solicitors coming together and trying to sort things out in a less acrimonious way so there are lots of, of, of different ways and it's important to talk to clients about that because they might have an idea about what they want to do or equally they may have no idea about how to move things forward and often they are saying to you this is the outcome i want to get to I don't really know how to get there. What what can we do and what's the best way? And that that is our role. You know, our role is not to say just to say, oh, we'll just issue an application to court. That'll get you what you want, because there are other options that may suit them better. I think Melanie's right. Um, clients come to us at a very distressing time in their lives and they come to us wanting help and they want us to guide them for the most appropriate way to resolve that problem. Um, sometimes I think um, that the various labels that are put on different processes are confusing to mm. clients. I always think it's a bit like going into a sandwich shop when you have that huge array of sandwich fillings in front of you. You know, you have to decide which bread you want, which filling you want. But really, ultimately, you just want something to eat. And so I think it's it's for us as lawyers to try and guide um, people through the processes and to try and help them look at one that that, that might be suitable for them. Um, so it is it, it it is very good. You know, I I make no bones about it. I, I, I tell clients, I'll tell anybody that going to court is hell. Mm. Um, because it's horrible. Um, and I don't I, I think it's very difficult to row back from that if you're sat across a table from your former spouse in court or your former partner in court saying things about them. I think it's then it then becomes very difficult to co-parent. But I think if you're in a supportive 
environment, um, whether that's in a roundtable meeting with lawyers or whether it's with a mediator, um, I think you might be able to then talk through some of the issues. I think it's very powerful when both parents or both 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 parties are together in in the same room and they hear the same message at the same time. And mm -hmm. that's why I think lots of the talking methods we have can, can really assist and can really help. And, and has technology helped with that? You know, we've all now mastered Zoom um, to a degree, <laughs> but being in the same room actually can, is that better or worse? Again, it might be that somebody just has almost said in their mind, I never want to be in the same room as them again. Um, so can Zoom or other forms of uh, contact work um, or, or actually really getting people together physically, does that make a very definite difference? I think there is a difference to getting people in the same room together. But what technology allows us to do is to open up those options for a meeting to a wider group of people. So I act for a lot of clients who live overseas and practicality and time difference and everything, you know, previously has been an issue for that. But we can sort out a, a Zoom that fits in with, with time differences and we can come together in a virtual space. Um, it also helps for clients who are feeling very anxious. Um, you know, I've, I've certainly done meetings where the client has come to our office and I have sat with them. So we are together and then we join their spouse or, and their lawyer on, on a, in a virtual process. And it, it, it just gives us more options again. I mean, I think technology does help us. Um, and I mean, I hate to mention court, but it, it, it helps in that way as well. I mean, some of the some of the virtual hearings we, we did during the pandemic has, has been so much easier than traveling to Chelmsford or, or, or whatever for a five minute appointment. So I think we just need to be open to that. I dealt with a hearing um, in, in the pandemic. It's it's it, it's a reported case where both mum and dad were living in Dubai and there were proceedings in England and so mum and dad were joining from their respective offices in Dubai I was sat in this room joining the court hearing the barristers were in their chambers and the judge was elsewhere in the country um, and I dread to think how much we would have spent if we had all had to go to court together and also from, an, from a realistic um, perspective who would have cared for the children mm. while, whilst that was happening? You know, it, it, at least dealing it in, in, with, with it in that way, it, it worked. But I think I think Melanie's right. Technology has given us more flexibility, but I think it can't replace necessarily the power of having people together in in a room. Mm. Um, I think sometimes it's more difficult to try and negotiate a settlement across a screen. I think it can be very, very effective when you are all together, maybe not in the same room, but maybe in the same building. Um, I had a settlement meeting yesterday where everybody was in the same, same building and the lawyers were shuttling backwards and forwards between clients. Um, and by having everybody there, we managed to, to reach an agreement. Whereas I think if we were trying to sort things out in correspondence, it would have taken months. Mm. That must be very powerful, especially as you say, if you compare that with following the court process and neither party could have had any idea what the outcome of that was going to be. Um, you brought it forward. It's dealt with the issue, which must help them emotionally too, to both be able to move on. Yeah hugely uh, different. So uh, yes, as you say, this will be going out uh, towards the end of the Good Divorce Week. What are, what are your hopes and expectations for, for what you're trying to communicate through that for each of you? I, I would really like the people to refocus. Um, my sort of mantra, I think, is increasingly becoming make court the last resort. Um, there are so many other ways of resolving things and I think if you can stay away from court it's better for everybody emotionally it's 
often better for everybody financially because the costs of resolving matters away from the court are often less. Um, and I think if we can help couples to reach an agreement as quickly and cost effectively as possible, that has to be better for them and their families. Mm. And so for me, it's really an educative piece about letting the public know about the other ways there are of resolving things. Mm, absolutely. I think that's right. I mean, I'd like to think that, that people will understand that coming to a lawyer doesn't mean necessarily upping the ante. You know, you still see people who say, I didn't want to come, we want to resolve things between ourselves. And often those are the people who really do need our help, not because they're at war, but because they are dealing with something very complicated and they need a bit of help in unraveling that. And I think it's, I think what we're taught in our collaborative practice, where we all come together and, um, and work together for the best outcome for the family is just that, focus on the outcome that everybody wants to achieve. There's lots of different ways we can get there. Um, and maybe we shouldn't get so caught up in thinking, oh, this is a case that should go to mediation, or this is a case that should get arbitrate or go to court. And just to be a bit more open about thinking, coming back to thinking about what outcome we're trying to achieve and and using lots of different ways to try and look at that. You know, it might be that mediation is right for talking about the children, but actually another process is right for resolving the finances. But, you know, that doesn't matter to the client as long as we get them to the right outcome with the least possible stress and cost and animosity. That's really what we should be focusing on. Mm. But I think well. I do have to say that there are some people going through separation for whom court may be the only safe option and one of the things that Melanie and I and all resolution members do at the outset is to screen clients for safeguarding issues we need to make sure that it's safe for them to sit in a room with 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 their former partner and so sometimes we may get clients who come to us saying my partner has said we should do this through mediation or my partner has said we need to sit down together and sort this out and if it, if it's an abusive relationship or there is a degree of vulnerability then a lawyer may well say to the client I don't think that's the right approach for you but perhaps we could do this um, we, we could do things differently to ensure that you are kept safe and you still reach a fair outcome. That's a very good point. We've sort of steered away to a degree about talking about different forms of abuse, uh, but yeah, whether it's financial or mental, physical, I guess you have to just treat those in a totally different way and, and will tailor the options that you offer as a result. Yes, and we've always got to be alive to that because it's not, abuse takes many forms. You know, it's, it's easy to spot if someone comes in and says, yes, I've, uh, there's been physical violence. But, you know, lots and lots and lots of cases, there's not physical violence, but there is abuse. There is financial abuse. There's controlling behaviour. And you've got to be alive to that, because the last thing you want to do is to put someone in a situation where they are unsafe um, or where they make a decision, because it's always their decision with support from us. As, as to what's the right thing for them and actually that wasn't the right thing for them they just felt they had to do it because of the other party so we, we've always got to, to keep that at the forefront of our minds when we're thinking mm. about different options and yes Juliet's right you know in cases like in some cases court is the right way forward um, in, in some cases where you just can't get anywhere at all because the other person's refusing to do anything again you're going to have to fall back on the court but the court would work a lot more efficiently if it were reserved only for those cases rather than backed up with everything that sort yeah. of churns through there really yeah that makes that makes absolute sense that's been brilliant um going through all of these things with you both and explaining some terms that perhaps aren't that familiar um to the outside world and uh thank you so much uh that you've uh, given us some time and that your voices have held out <laughs> without a cough or a sniffle that's been fantastic so um thank you both so much it's been great to talk to you about uh, the work that you do and just understanding the whole process so much better well, thank you Colin.
Thank you. And if anybody wants to find out more about Good Divorce Week, you can find out about that on the Resolution website, which is www.resolution.org.uk. There's lots of information on that website. There's also a facility to find a resolution lawyer near you. And if you have a look, you'll find both Melanie and I are on that website. (laughs) That's spot on. A great way to end. Thank you very much for that, Julia. And thank you, Melanie, too. That's been brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Suffolk Money podcast. As I said at the start, we recognise that this is a difficult and painful issue and not necessarily one that I found particularly easy to structure. But in the context of what's been referred to as Good Divorce Week, we hope that uh, it will just help those who have to face um, this difficult subject of divorce. I'm very, very grateful to Melanie and to Juliet for their time in recording this. We struggle to fit it in. Um, and both of them were a little under the weather, but I'm so grateful to them for giving us their time and their thoughts and their wisdom as we approach this difficult subject. As always, I'm very grateful to those who support me in putting this together. Um, and, and just extremely grateful for uh, those who do all the work behind the scenes. So I'm very uh, pleased that Joy Day uh, continues to support us in our graphics and our online experience. For Kevin Birch and for Sally Birch, as they edit and prepare and book speakers, uh, I wouldn't be able to do it without the help of the three of them and indebted to them for getting this uh, put together. Please do join us next time in our next uh, session. Uh, where we will bring something new from this area of Suffolk that we are pleased to call our home and the bearing that money may have on that particular subject.